January 6, 1912, New Mexico became the 47th state in the Union. However, for over 60 years, New Mexico was a territory of the United States. That essentially meant taxation without representation. Why did it take 60 years for New Mexico to become a state? A lot of it came down to slavery. In 1850, slavery was a key issue debated in the political realm of America. Some wanted New Mexico to enter the Union as a slave state, others did not. It remained a territory with Arizona as Congress fought back and forth. Our opinion in the matter was not asked for. If it were, perhaps things may have panned out differently. New Mexico's history is shared with a long, long history in Mexico. Mexican revolutions, politics, culture, ideas, and traditions were defining to our territory. After all, we are New Mexico. And in the 1830s, before we became a U.S. territory, Mexican traditions had already severely limited slavery. But the U.S. bought the land, fought over the politics, used New Mexico as a battleground during the Civil War, and we remained a forgotten, unrepresented land for over 60 years. Our statehood came alongside Arizona's statehood, but it's hard to look back and not feel as though it were an afterthought. Still, we celebrate. Then six years after entering the Union, a pandemic flu hits. New Mexico scrambled with the rest of the country, only we had fewer resources, less money, and virtually no aid available. For a state with a population of only 360,000 people, 5,000 people died from the Spanish flu. One in seven in New Mexico came down with the illness. Without the aid of our federal government, New Mexico was left to fend for itself once again, and we lost a lot. Over a hundred years later, another pandemic hits, though much less deadly. At the time of this writing, six months into the pandemic, roughly 800 lives in New Mexico have died in a population of two million. By the time you listen to this story, those numbers have certainly gone up. Some things have not changed. We've received little in the way of aid, little in the way of representation, and we are left to mostly fend for ourselves. When I say that New Mexico is a forgotten state, this is what I mean. Remove politics from the equation and consider this. If you don't live in New Mexico, how often do you think of us? How often do you hear about us? My guess? Aside from this podcast, very little. And that's ironic, because in our vast deserts, we hold secrets of America that go deep into our country's culture and history. We house weapons of mass destruction kept under lock and key just miles from our cities. We are the gateway to the Permian Basin, where vast amounts of oil are extracted from the earth to power our country. We are home to vast amount of airspace the military uses for operation often seized without the input from our citizens. What happens in New Mexico affects your everyday life in powerful, profound ways. Yet we are easy to forget, aren't we? And what you don't know won't hurt you, right? Right? I think we both know better than that by now. So let me shed some light on the things you may not know in a story changing your everyday life. This is Crashed in Roswell, Survivors in a Misunderstood City. Before we get to the episode, I want to thank our sponsors, the International UFO Museum and Research Center here in Roswell, New Mexico. 
The UFO Center is a mainstay in our community that has had millions of visitors walk through its doors to experience the Roswell story firsthand. The museum offers exhibits including the 1947 Roswell incident, but also stories of ancient aliens, UFO close encounters, alien abductions, and many, many photo ops from over the years and from around the world. The museum also boasts the second largest UFO and alien related library in the entire world, second only to the Vatican, believe it or not. They have tens of thousands of books, magazines, periodicals, audiovisual materials, and much, much more for the ufologists looking for answers to what is going on in the skies that we can't explain. If you're visiting Roswell or you're even remotely interested in Roswell, you've got to plan a trip to the UFO Center. They're open seven days a week, so there's no excuse to miss out. You can plan your visit at roswellufomuseum.com. That's roswellufomuseum.com. All right, on to the episode. Hey, Denise. How are you? This is this is Kyle. Oh, Kyle, I am so glad to meet you. I've been listening to your show, and I feel like I already know you. Well, thanks for thanks for listening. I appreciate uh, appreciate that. In the week after John's death, his niece Denise and I managed to set up a call. She had been listening to the show and reached out to me to talk about what John had left behind. And then it was was so interesting because I I learned more about him on your show than I ever knew before. Wow! How did how did he you? He wasn't he- much of a talker. How did you hear about the show? Did he tell you about it, or did you find it? mentioned it i think in some letter like the last one i got from him how cool but (laughs) it's 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 really it's kind of weird you know finding out like like you're listening in on somebody's phone conversation (laughs) i mean from the other room well that's cool well i'm that's been neat i'm glad you get a, a chance to hear him uh through that and um i'm sorry you know i'm i'm sorry for your for your loss, um, you know, it, John. John was very special to me, obviously, and uh, I'm sure he was was to you too. So, uh, you know, I I really didn't know him very well. I mean, I I did some genealogy a few years back and found out um, found him. I mean, when we went down there to see him, you know, I mean, I wanted to see where the family came from, and. Uh, you know, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't like putting us off or not, you know, but, but at the same time, you could tell that there was a lot that man did not talk about. So what, first of all, what did you, you came to Roswell, it was a couple of years ago, you said? Oh yeah. Um, it was early on when I first found out about him, about, about our side of the family going that direction. I mean, coming from that direction. You know, genealogy, yeah. you work backwards. And uh, I, I wanted to see where we came from. So, do you I know... Everybody seemed nice. You know, I mean, it was, it's a nice little town. It it felt very hometowny. you know, not like, not, you know, people still know each other and stuff, it seemed like. But kind of slow. I mean, not that the people are slow, but the town, life is slow. <laughs> yeah. So, do you know... Um... Do you know that now that John has passed, what will become of all of his stuff? Like, do you know what? Do you know what what happened to his estate or what? 
what's happening with all of his things? I mean, technically, I am, you know, the last main and next to Ken. So eventually they'll get it sorted out and I'll get his things. Inheriting? You'll you'll inherit his his things? Yeah, next to Ken. I mean, most of it's just his remains and whatever he had in his place. And I mean, I, more than anything else, I want to make sure he gets a proper burial because I think mm. he would have liked that. So, you know, I'm getting in touch with the veterans groups down there and and, and all that to make sure that, that whatever is, you know, is the right thing to do, it gets done. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're taking the initiative to to make sure he gets taken care of and, and put to rest the way he should. I mean, uh, like I said, he was... Oh, yeah. He deserves better, even better than the little house that he was stuck in. I mean, you know, we don't do right by our pets, but, you know, that's just coming from me. But, uh, you know, and, and half his house was full of, you know, his, his boxes of clippings and things. The, so you so you knew about his he had boxes and boxes of UFO stuff when I saw him yeah. did you see all that stuff when you were here yeah you know and this was like I said a few years back I, you know you figure everybody has some kind of thing they're crazy about and I don't mean like crazy crazy you know like oh you're you know just just infatuated with some topic and so I didn't pay it much mind mm. but then I start listening to your podcast and suddenly it clicks for me I'm like oh goodness there could actually be something in there you know did, did John ever tell you uh, about a file that his mother kept on things like that she saw when she worked on the base did he ever tell you about that well you know I mean we weren't talking about those things back then I mean back then we were talking about the people in the family so I you know he talked about his mom but like just for the genealogy I was doing but you know there's supposed to be um, a safety deposit box somewhere that that I should be getting a hold of I mean if everything finally progresses you know and uh, if there's anything really secret it'd probably be in there really safety deposit box I immediately thought of the file John said his mother had from the base, a file that he claimed held deeper secrets. Could this be where he kept it? So uh, you haven't you haven't gotten access to that yet, I'm assuming. Oh, no. Everything's going through channels. So you know how it is, but uh, and everything has got to go slow. Well, tell you, tell you what, can we can we maybe stay in touch? And because uh, I would love to know if you can get to that safety deposit box. I would mean, maybe it's it's a stretch for me to think that this file is in that box, but maybe it is. I would love I get, I'd love to find out with you if you're open to it. You know, I'll let you know when we get you know some kind of movement on this. You know, if if I'm coming down there to get into his his stuff and his box and stuff, you'd be welcome to come along. I would love. I mean, extra I love pair that. of hands certainly wouldn't hurt, and with all the boxes he had. I would love that. Yeah, please, please, let's keep in touch, please. What if what John's mother saw was in that box? It might be the biggest bombshell in Roswell's history. It might bring us back to the front of the world's consciousness again, even in the midst of a global pandemic. Sure, there was part of me that was worried it could be nothing like the masses of news clippings and articles in the boxes at John's house. 
Then again, there was something to his story. There was enough about what John had told me to pique my interest in the first place, so I had to follow my gut and hope that something was in that safety deposit box. However, I felt I was back at square one with things. I couldn't follow up with the metal John gave me. The refinery was not at capacity enough to look into it, and it looked like it might be weeks until we would find anything out. Denise was caught in legal tango, and who would know how long that might take before we discover anything from John? There wasn't much for me to look into. I'm not one to do nothing, though. So I reached back out to a friend and ufologist, Dennis Balthaser, from Season 1, to follow up on the lore of Roswell, hoping the story might shake something out of the woodwork again. Unfortunately, Dennis only had more bad news for me. This episode's also brought to you by Way Way Off Broadway Theater Company. Way Way Off Broadway is southeastern New Mexico's premier theater company featuring live Broadway-style shows right here in Roswell. They are constantly raising the bar of performances using professional-level lights and effects to bring their shows to life. They've done shows like Les Miserables, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, Singing in the Rain, Grease, and so many other classic Broadway shows. If you're planning a trip to Roswell, make sure you plan it around Way Way Off Broadway season and catch a show while you're in town. You can check them out at waywayoffbroadway.com to check out upcoming shows, get your tickets, and support the arts in New Mexico. That's waywayoffbroadway.com. In my quest for an answer during Season 1, I introduced you to a friend and UFO expert, Dennis Balthaser. Dennis is a smart guy with a background in engineering and is well-respected in the UFO research community. For years, he's been one of the most sought-after tour guides in the country, giving tours of Roswell to thousands of people across the globe. But the COVID pandemic has had a way of changing things in ways we could not imagine, especially for Dennis. Okay, how did COVID and the shutdowns affect what you've been doing in your, in your business? I started doing the Roswell UFO tours primarily because nobody was doing them. And there was a lot of interest. People all over the world wanted to know about the Roswell incident. Since I had a lot of knowledge about the incident and the city, I felt it was important that I try to put a tour together. So I started doing that seven years ago, not knowing what it would develop into. And towards the end, I was averaging two a day, five days a week. And then in March of this year, in 2020, I had a shutdown because of the pandemic. And then I looked at the situation with the virus and realized that it's not going to go away in a hurry. So I just decided at my age, I've done this for 30 years on the research, it was time to hang it up. So I did. I just decided to get out of the, the business, out of the research and the tours. Are there still people out there researching this and looking for answers? Yes, there's some. Uh, there's a lot more that do the research or claim to do the research and aren't researchers. <laughs> there's a lot of ego involved with a lot of these researchers, and that was another reason I got out of it. If I turn on the television and see a Roswell program, Many times I'm disappointed because the people that are talking about Roswell have never been here. 
They don't know any of the witnesses. They don't know where the crash site is. And, and unfortunately, people believe a lot of what they see on television, but yet they claim to be experts on Roswell. And some of these experts are jewelers making podcasts about Yeah, <laughs> about yeah exactly. <laughs> so what happens to the Roswell lore now? I mean, is there is there more even left to uncover? Oh, I'm sure there is because I like to use the word if. If this is real, we have no idea what it's about because they would be so far advanced of us to be able to get here. We can't go there. So if they can get here from wherever they're from, they're so far advanced of us, we couldn't possibly communicate with them. But I have to leave the door open that there's a possibility that there is life out there. So I use the word if a lot, and that's where I'm coming from on this. Something happened near Roswell 70 years ago that's still covered up. Just like that, it was over for Dennis. Chasing down answers and looking for more clues just wasn't worth it anymore. When I found out he was retiring, it felt like the end of an era for the Roswell lore. In season one, I wanted you, the listener, to question me as a narrator, to question the truth and the people I interviewed. But let me be clear, this interview is the truth and Dennis is the real deal. Finding out about his retirement was disappointing and it led me to questioning my own work on this podcast. Ask any professional creative person and they will agree, the mountain of positive feedback never squelches the one or two harsh or mean comments you'll receive about your work. I remember nearly every negative review or cruel comment I've received from my work for the past 10 years, including for this podcast. Now many of you listeners have sent me your kind words and support, and they mean so very much. But it's still hard to forget the one or two names I've been called or harsh statements made about me or the show. And when I can't sleep at night, my mind thinks of those critiques. Such as, have I just created a pretentious, preachy show about nothing? Have I just used this story in the Roswell lore to elevate myself onto a pedestal? Is this show just exploiting someone or an entire community for the sake of moral superiority? Most of all, did I even accomplish anything at all in the show, or did I just fill the airwaves with more noise? I know, I know, we artists are a bit dramatic, but just a bit, right? Some of the angst I feel about this work can be compared to the feeling of angst I have toward the city of Roswell. At the end of the day, I worry about who will care for this community in the future. Will anybody take interest in us in the way that some have? Or are Roswellians fighting an uphill battle? Should we accept that we and our story are fading into oblivion and there is nothing we can do to stop that? Is Roswell even relevant anymore? I think by the end of this season, I'll have given you enough of a story to answer that question, but I'll warn you in advance. You might not like the season finale any better than the last one. Before that, though, I have one final stop to make in this crazy story, and it will take me back in time to a conversation I had with John and others about a mysterious disappearance in Roswell. Plus, I get the results from the metal back from the refinery. That's on the next episode of Crashed in Roswell, Survivors in a Misunderstood City. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
My thanks to Ryan Bishop on production and Brian Hunley, who wrote our theme song. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or Twitter to stay up to date with the show. You can also support us by visiting our website, CrashedInRoswell.com, and checking out our store with all original Crashed in Roswell gears, t-shirts, mugs, you name it. 